0: Them to the People's Show with Bick Nazar and Randy Pjanda.
1: Hey, what's going on? It is the People's Show with just Bick Nazar broadcasting. From the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at
0: Kintech.net. Dominic Schremetti, hand raised. I shaking just, his head behind the glass. I just miss Randy so much. I just wanted to play it one more time. That's fine. I miss him. I miss Randeep, too. We all do. Uh you'll you'll hear from
1: Randy, though. He's he's around. Uh, just not here on the new people Show. Uh, big shout out to everyone that has texted me, DM'd me, messaged me, saw me in the streets and said, hey, so is it going to be called The Person's Show now? Yeah, kind of is. Uh, look, I know a lot of people were excited about The People's Show, myself and Randy. But it was a lot of fun. It's going to evolve. It's going to change. And here's the cool part. Dom and I talked a lot about this ourselves last week. We don't know what it's going to be like. We're coming in with a clean slate. We're not trying to say this is what the show is going to be on day one. One of the things that we have loved about the People's Show is you have played a massive role in it. If you want to continue to do so, text in. Help us shape the future of the People's Show. What do you want it to look like? What do you want it to sound like? You are still going to have a prominent voice, as you should, on the People's Show. We're going to change. Some things will be similar. Some things will adapt, and some things will evolve, and some new things will get created. Uh, we're here for all of that, uh, but you'll hear me daily, solo, uh, today, 2 to 3, tomorrow and forthcoming, 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, we'll get into a lot of things. Brendan Batchelor will join us at 2.10. Curtis Rogers from Seattle Sports will join us at 2.40. Mariners marching on. Jay's getting left behind. i uh, will get into all of it today, but as I said, uh, this show will continue to evolve and change, and... We'll figure it out as we go along together, more so than anything. Uh, But it was a good weekend. Canucks wrap up the preseason. We're going to get the official roster announcement here in just a moment, as it is that time for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, But they also make a trade. Get the season started off with a bang, if we can call moving Jason Dickinson, uh, starting off the season with a bang. Uh, At least uh, that's what they hope Chase Stillman brings, I imagine. Uh, Physicality competitiveness and just general feistiness that is in the uh, scouting report for Stillman. Uh, And and let's start there, because they'll they'll announce the roster shortly, and we'll connect with Batch uh, in just a minute. But where does this put this team? And you heard me discuss this on the People Show. The JT Miller transaction is an indicator where this team is and where they intend to head. They sign him to that seven-year deal, and that should be your signal as fans that there's an element of go time to this. Demko's contract comes to an expiry at some point. Queen Hughes lives in this world where he's kind of undervalued right now. Elias Petterson has to take a step, but he's not costing you $10 million if he gets to the heights that we think he can get. And by the way, preseason, he's looked pretty good and kind of put an exclamation mark uh, on the final preseason game of what he can look like, albeit versus a bit of a reduced uh, lineup there for the Arizona Coyotes. But this should be go time for you. Now that they've they've locked up a a key member for quite a pretty penny in JT Miller, This is about wins. And in that context, when you see teams try to dump some bad money, okay, trading a draft pick makes some sense. But then apply that context to this team, and they're not really there yet. It's working towards something bigger, but it's not as if they freed up overwhelming cap space, just about 1.3. And it's not as if they have shown that they're ready to take this conference championship-level step. So where are the Vancouver Canucks right now? And where do you feel like they are? 650-650, you can always chime into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, Uh, the smart alternative. is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. But we talked about this on Saturday night. Uh, Once that trade broke, during the postgame show, myself and Satyar Shah they save real money, not cap, like real cash. What they save is $3.25 million. So that is the primary motivation of a move like this. Yes, Stillman is going to have rosterable value, and there's a certain level of upside to it. You, if you want to just clear the money out, you can clear the money out by getting a certain fire, surefire AHL player that's just going to provide depth to the organization. And if you want to clear up the entire Dickinson money, that's potential. But realistically, what they cleared off the cap, this is the type of player that they chose to target. A certain price range, a certain profile, a certain position, and they did it at the cost of a second-round pick. So where is this team for you right now? I think this is a bit of a irresponsible Move unless there's something bigger coming. My grade, we were asked to grade it on the post-game show on Saturday. And I was kind of a D-plus with room to grow into something bigger. If this is part of a series of moves, if Stillman has his own value to him, that you try something out and if it works, then that's great. If it doesn't work, you can move on and get something of lesser value than the second round pick you gave up. This is another experiment, another throw at the dartboard for them, kind of like Travis Dermott. Here's Stillman bringing in. Is this another chance that maybe has some level of of upside and in the role that you want to try him in? Can you unpack something that wasn't seen before in Chicago, in Ottawa? They've done this before, this group as well, Alvin and Rutherford. You go back to Pittsburgh, they went after a Patterson, a Marcus Patterson, I should say. Uh, They went after a Marino and uncovered something and did it for lower cost than what they did in this move in particular. But what's fascinating is they're in this spot where they've kind of laid out, yeah, we want to make progress. If you wanted to do this wholesale rebuild and there is the idea that you can thread the needle – where are you threading the needle with? And you've got to make this $1.3 million work on the cap. And if you intend to spend that 3.25 that you've now opened up, what is the next move that comes thereafter? Because this move in a vacuum in the context of the Vancouver Canucks doesn't make a ton of sense unless they find something in Stillman that nobody else has seen. Unless he shows that he's a qualified, capable, competent top 4 D-man And this trade doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you're going to make the money work for you elsewhere. We talked about it on the postgame show. Is that free up a bit more money for Andre Kuzmenko? But even that feels entirely premature to talk about. Is that freeing up money for Bo Horvat? Figuring that extension out. That contract would kick in next year with a little bit of cap flexibility. Would a bit more cash give you the opportunity to solidify that contract. For Horvath, team's captain, certainly something they can explore. Or, again, is there something bigger afoot that still has to manifest, whether it's now, whether it's December, whether it's by the trade deadline? How do you intend to use that capital, that actual money that you've opened up at the cost of draft picks? It's, it's a dangerous game that they're playing right now. And we'll see because if they intend to still bring in more draft picks, which hasn't really materialized. They intend to bring in, or can continue to flush out the the prospect cupboards. How do you intend to do that without draft picks? They're going to have to figure this one out. Keep coming up with your ideas as well, 650-650. Uh, this one, continuation of the no plan plan, which we've seen obviously in this market for some time. Uh, Corey and Swift Current. People show is massive all over the place. Swift current. Uh, Canucks are deep up front. One high-end goalie and defender at OEL and a decent second pair. I think they play for second. Not convinced Calgary won't struggle with chemistry this year. That's Corey and Swift current. Yeah, the Flames is is an interesting one. Maybe it takes some time to grow into their season. I think a baseline exists in Calgary, though. When you have Daryl Sutter, a certain level of play is expected when it comes to Daryl Sutter hockey, they'll love up to that standard, and I, I'm I have far less reservations of the Calgary Flames and actually the Edmonton Oilers. You think of the, the 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 heights of McDavid and Drysaddle and what you can create with the floor of that Calgary defense, and obviously the goaltender plays a big role in that. Uh, I'm less concerned about what they look like in the Pacific Division. But let's talk to uh, our first guest here on the new People Show, Brendan Bachelor, who joins us, the voice of the Canucks, here on Sportsnet 650. Batch, how are you? I'm good. I'm
2: glad to be a part of the uh, new edition of the People Show, although I'm surprised it's not called the Person Show since you're flying solo now.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I joked off the top. It's like, congratulations to all the people that have made that joke. That's, that's...
2: <laughs> oh, I'm not the first.
1: <laughs> no, you're on it. You're on it. Uh... Well, we're expecting to hear from the the roster, the full roster, uh, in just a moment. So if that breaks while we're talking to you, uh, I'll bring it uh, to the people as we uh, discuss. But a big sigh of relief from everyone today, Uh, Quinn Hughes, just the sniffles.
2: Yes, uh, I think Bruce Boudreaux termed it as a non-COVID flu-ish kind of illness. So Mm -hmm. uh, Quinn Hughes under the weather. Uh, after having a, quote-unquote, maintenance day yesterday. And, you know, I I kind of thought that it was unlikely that this was any sort of serious injury, mainly because Hughes was a full participant in the morning skate before the last preseason game on Friday. And the only thing he didn't do was work on the power play or on the penalty kill at the end of the skate and afterwards Boudreaux essentially said yeah we've sort of planned that he wasn't going to play this game then they had saturday off he didn't practice yesterday he didn't practice today so you know the fact that he was fully taking part in that morning skate led me to believe that it was unlikely that it was any sort of injury issue and so it's good to see that that does appear to be the case and hopefully if he bounces back and feels better in the next couple of days he'll be fine to practice tomorrow and play in edmonton on wednesday
1: Uh, we were just talking about the the preseason game there and and during the game they made a trade and Jason Dickinson moves out. Obviously there's a component of of the the cap implications and real cash, but also is it just a a big endorsement for someone like Nils Oman who said, like, I I essentially beat you up for a spot here.
2: Yeah, that's part of it, right? That they felt comfortable enough with Nils Oman starting the season anyway as the fourth line center that they were willing to move off of Jason Dickinson. And yes, they create the cap space. Yes. They save real money. And they also bring in another depth defenseman in an area where I think it's fair to say that none of the guys competing for that spot on the roster have wowed or, you know, really taken ownership of, of locking down that position in the lineup, including someone like Jack Rathbone. Whereas, you know, up front, you can say that Neil Zoman has had that kind of training camp. So, um, you know, those are those are all elements of, of what led to that trade. I think Stillman also brings a, a bit of a unique skill set in you know the physical kind of the side of the game and uh, willing to drop the gloves and, and play you know that element as well as you know from all accounts being a really good guy in the room. Um, so you know, there's a lot of factors there, but certainly I think Niels Oman has really impressed, and and that would have been one of the major decisions that. You know, as I said, at least to start the year, they feel like they didn't need Jason Dickinson here. And we'll see what the long-term future holds for Niels Oman as they start to get healthier. And, you know, if they get Besser and Mikheyev back, then you see someone like Lazar bump back down into his traditional fourth-line spot. He's a guy that can play the middle as well. So Oman may not stay there in the long term, but in the short term, he's had a good enough camp that they're content to have him start the year there. And I think that says everything about how much he surprised everyone around this team coming into training camp, because, you know, we'll wait and see if they release the opening night roster here pretty quickly as the the deadline has now passed for it. But if you had told me, at the start of training camp, that Linus Carlson and Niels Oman would be on the opening night roster. I would have assumed that this club would have had about four or five more injuries than it currently does for that to be the case. So I think it says a lot about both of those players and and how the organization views them after the preseason.
1: What were, you, were your uh, first impressions then of uh, Stillman uh, at at practice today and yesterday as well? Yeah, I
2: mean it, it's you know they haven't really been able to, to do a lot in terms of like game like situations. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that you're gonna see from him, the physicality, the tenacity, those don't really come out in, in line rushes in practice. But, you know, he seems like he fits in well on a pairing with Kyle Burroughs if that's gonna be the third pairing uh, to start the season on Wednesday, then you know both of those guys bring that physical element. They can both lay a hit. They can both drop the gloves. Um, and, you know, they they're both capable of of keeping their heads above water at the NHL level, I think it's fair to say, although I I wouldn't pretend that either of them are elite puck movers. So, you know, if if that is the case and they go with Stillman on that pairing, you know, that's not something you're going to look for from those guys. Uh, But there's lots of questions and lots of moving parts now with these defensive pairings. If we assume that Hughes is going to be healthy enough um, to start the year, and you read into what we've seen at the pairings the last couple of days of practice, then it's entirely possible that Riley Stillman starts the year in the lineup and Jack Rathbone starts the year out of the lineup. And again, you know, not, not to say that Rathbone has had a bad preseason by any means, but I think that speaks to the fact that he hasn't come in and wowed this organization to a point where he absolutely has to be in the opening night lineup. And it, may indeed be the brand-new acquisition who's only been with the organization a matter of days that's playing on Wednesday in Edmonton as opposed to the, the bright prospect, Jack Rathbone.
1: Is is this more of the profile? Because we saw Danny DeKaiser come in and it just didn't work, right? You, you would have preferred that be the solution. Is this move specifically in that mold to say, hey, this guy's going to come in and play what we thought Danny DeKaiser could do, and there's going to be a large penalty-killing component to this? Because he, he he has played a boatload of, of PK minutes these past two years.
2: Yeah, that that to me is, is a really good way to look at it, Vic, because that was the main thing that I think they were looking for from DeKaiser, as if he was able to play to a level that they felt – um, you know, warranted a contract and warranted a spot in the top six, then he was a guy that has had a long track record of killing penalties. And, you know, especially with Tyler Myers hurt to start the season, he logged more penalty kill minutes on this team than anyone else last year. So there is a gaping hole on the blue line and you know, it's it's on the right side, which I know Stillman's a left shot defenseman, but we've seen Kyle Burroughs penalty kill on his off side of a right shot playing the left side. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, yes, that's your third pairing at even strength. And as I was just talking about, you know, if you talk about transition or, or ability to move the puck up the ice, those aren't the two guys that come, you know, right at the top of the list in terms of players you would think about that have that skill set, but they're both able to penalty kill. And you know, that is an area of the game, of course, after what we saw last season that has to be drastically improved for this team this year, especially to start the season if they want to get off on the right foot going up against Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and one of the top power plays we've seen in recent years in the NHL with the Edmonton Oilers on night one. So, you know, I, I guarantee you that's a factor in why they wanted to acquire Stillman. And if indeed he does start on opening night in the lineup, over a player like Jack Rathbone, I'm sure that's a huge reason why.
1: Uh, we saw the lines today. Pearson Miller, Hog uh, Nils Hoglander, put and Horvat, Garland, Kuzmenko, Patterson, Carlson, Joshua, Oman and Lazar and then Besser and Uh we're skating as the extras. We know they're working their way back uh, from their respective injuries. Uh what this looks like on Game 1 and how this can look like in Game 3 if Besser and Mikheyev are ready to come back. But we did see Besser do a little bit more work today. Uh, Is this what you expect to see on Wednesday?
0: Well,
2: I kind of wonder, and, you know, Bruce Boudreaux has kind of hinted that he is hopeful that Besser could play on Wednesday. Whether that's realistic in terms of what the head coach is hoping for and what the doctors will clear Besser for is another thing. But I do wonder if Linus Carlson is essentially a placeholder right now on that line with Kuzmenko and Pedersen, and you could slide Brock Besser in on that line relatively easily, where you know at the start of training camp he was skating with Pearson and Miller. Yeah. That's a line that's going to get most of the minutes. That's a line that is going to be trusted in a ton of big situations. If Besser is coming back and he's maybe not 100% yet, you put him on that Pedersen line, And that looks more like the line that, you know, maybe won't play as much. Uh, You know, they might try to find some soft matchups for them, and you can sort of gradually work him back in by putting him there. The other part of that, too, is that, you know, as much as I spoke about, you know, Niels Oman and Linus Carlson and about how I wouldn't have predicted that those two guys could potentially be in the opening night lineup, I think Oman has a much better case with the body of work that he's had through training camp than Carlson, who, you know, for my money, if he's going to play in an offensive role on that line, he's got to help create a lot of offense. And I haven't seen enough of that from him through the preseason. So to me, you know, Oman fully deserving of being the fourth line center Carlson kind of finding himself in a top nine role right now, specifically because of injuries. So if Besser is good to go on night one, then to me it, it likely means that Carlson's giving way and probably finding himself in Abbotsford sooner rather than later.
1: I'm actually really fascinated once we get going in this season, just how the minutes get allocated, uh, because we can sit here and say, okay, Miller, Horvat, Petterson they deserve a ton of minutes, and is that fourth line's usage going to be much lower? Because you kind of just mentioned there, okay, the Pedersen kuzmenko line maybe doesn't play as much, and you can put a 85%, 90% Brock Besser out there and leave Nils Hoglander there, but realistically, like that miller horvat Petterson trio, like they should be up towards at least 5-on-5 five five in around that 15-minute mark. That's not Insignificant amount.
2: Well, yeah, and you know, those guys will all get minutes because all three of them are on the top power play
0: unit.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and it's also a power play unit that generally plays, you know, closer to 90 seconds uh, than some units you would see in the league. So, you know, they're, they're going to get their minutes on the man advantage. But I think part of the way that Boudreaux has built his top nine forward group, and this is especially the case if or when that top-nine forward group can be healthy, is that you can spread those minutes around. And we heard, you know, I believe it was Patrick Alvine coming into the year. It may have been Boudreaux. I can't remember, to be honest. But one of the major Canuck uh, stakeholders spoke about the fact that they had to get off JT Miller's minutes, that they could not continue to play him as much as they did last year, where he was playing sometimes 23, 24, even 25 minutes a night as a centerman because you know as much as he had a great offensive year last year that's not sustainable for a player you know especially in that role in that position to play that much so that's what i look at when i look at the top 9 is an ability to spread the minutes around and it may be situational as to who plays the most on some nights right like if you're at home and you've got a hard matchup situation against like a McKinnon or a McDavid then, you know, I guess it depends whether you see Horvat or Miller as that matchup line. But maybe, you know, that's a, a situation where one of those two guys plays more minutes. Uh, conversely, if you have an early lead and you're on the road, maybe the Pedersen line gets more minutes, you know, in that situation. So, you know, I think that's going to be a, fan, a fascinating thing to track here through the season, Vic. You're right. Because, The more they can spread those minutes around with those three guys and not lean on any one of those lines too much, the more sustainable any offensive success they hope to have this season will be.
1: Uh, He is Brendan Batchelor, the voice of the Canucks. You'll hear him on these airwaves uh, on Wednesday. Things get real for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, You'll hear it on Sportsnet 650. Batch, thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much, and uh, congratulations on the show. I know you'll do a great job, and I'm glad to be one of the people that will be joining you on.
1: Absolutely. We'll hear from you uh, quite often here on The People Show. That is uh, at Batch Hockey on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll talk soon. Uh, that is Brendan Batchelor uh, here on The People Show with Vic Nazar, run by Dominic Sharmati, and intern
0: David as well. Can we kill the person's show joke now? It's done. Yeah. Batch ruined it. He really did.
1: I, I wanted to open with it. I was like, it's good. And then and then Batch just ruined it. It's over. Yeah. Uh 650, 650. Uh this one. Mike and West Kelowna texting in with uh Stillman is just another mediocre D acquisition. The D is very weak, and the whole team for that matter can't defend a lead if their lives depended on it. We need another bona fide top two D pair D-men, unquestionably that's uh, Mike in West Colonna who tags it with uh, hashtag sign bow as well. I uh, will talk about a team that couldn't defend a lead on the other side. The Toronto oh, Blue Jays. <laughs> you like that one? My goodness. My, my favorite broadcasting thing is when someone makes a good segue, the other broadcasters have to be like, oh my god, what a segue! Completely nullifying how great of a segue it was. Uh, but we'll talk about the Blue Jays on the other side. That was... Was it 8-1? It was 8-1. It was 8-1? It was 8-1. Dom, do you have the uh, the hotkey of... Uh, it was calamitous. All that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because the, the Blue Jays on the
0: weekend were...
1: Calamitous, disjointed, error-strewn, awful.
0: You suck! Try harder next time.
1: <laughs> that was a shocking display of... Nerve management. How about that? We'll get into it on the other side. But the Blue Jays, for all the people that were surprised at how that went down, they showed you all season who they were. And that's all that happened in the playoffs. You get exposed for what you are. We'll talk about that on the other side. Also, Curtis Rogers will join us. For people uh, texting in as well, turf trivia. What are you going to do for turf trivia? Well, this week... We got Bombers and Lions tickets. We're kind of going to scrap Turf Trivia a little bit. We're still evolving it, but we're going to have things to give away on the People Show. How are we going to give it to you? Uh, Today and this week, we'll do caller number five. So starting right now, caller number five I uh, can pick up Lions and Bombers tickets. I know there's people that live that that listen on the stream and everything like that. We're going to change this. We're going to evolve, but for this week, I're doing caller number 5, 604-280-0650. Dom will answer calls fifth one through. It's picking up tickets to the BC Lions and Winnipeg Blue, Bom- Blue Bombers. Your Lions are back. Ready to roar. Back with more here on the People Show. Welcome back to the People's Show. Vic Nazar, Dominic Shramatti, Intern David, all here with you for the next half hour. Broadcasting from the Kid Tech Studio, Canuck Central, on the way. Tom, was this like your favorite sports weekend in like forever? The Jets won. Yes. Manchester United won. The Phillies advanced.
0: Yes. Like, when was the last time that even happened? So I was. I'm 31 now. Yeah. I was 19 when the Phillies last made the playoffs. 17 when they last won a, uh, a playoff series. Right. So yeah. So they haven't been in the playoffs in 10, 11, 11 seasons.
1: seasons. So have has there ever been a weekend? I guess there wouldn't have been a weekend where the Phillies would have won a playoff series, the Jets would have won, and Manchester United have won.
0: It's highly unlikely. So, like, it was it was my weekend. Yeah. Let me tell you, I, everything was coming up dom. I was speechless on Saturday night, and my fiance could not co- comprehend like why I was feeling those emotions. She's like, "What's? Why is this so important to you? Why?" I'm like, it's "Great, honey. I was 19 the last time yeah. this happened." Phillies are moving on. That's one of those things. As a fan, you never really think to yourself like. It's going to be a decade plus before I feel this emotion again. Which is why I push back on the idea of like, oh, constantly rebuild. It's like you don't know
1: when that rebuild is going to stop. And that doesn't mean burn all the assets right now. But this idea that tomorrow is always going to be better, shoot. It's not. (laughs) Some people's fandoms have gotten progressively worse. And tested. A great deal. I imagine you were speechless on Saturday night because you watched that uh, Mariners-Jays games. Yes. Oh, that was stunning.
0: It was fantastic.
1: That was I laughed. stunning. I, I tuned in in uh, the 4th, and uh, my nephew was like, why are we watching it as a blowout? Or no, I tuned in the
0: 5th. So like, why are we watching it as a blowout? I was like, because you never know. But y- Yeah, exactly. You just never y- know. There was always this feeling of like, it's a one but I don't think this is over. Yeah. And generally speaking, for me,
1: playoff series are a microcosm of your season. Like, whatever flaws you have over the course of a season, a regular season, become more pronounced, more prominent in the playoffs. And it's not necessarily your biggest strength that will help you advance in the playoffs. It's if your biggest weakness gets exploited enough that helps you survive in the playoffs. And teams are specifically game planning versus you. They get to use a season's worth of tendencies, patterns, film and data. All of that gets meticulously analyzed, crunched, To see who or what the weak point is that can be exposed. And that's why we harp on things like identity so much. That generates so much conversation. Not just amongst us. Coaches, executives, culture. All that sort of stuff. Why it's such a focus for teams to craft out that identity. Figure out what you are. Because who you are comes out in the biggest moments. When it gets tough. When the temperature reaches its highest. What version of yourself will come out? And this weekend... The Blue Jays just showed who they were all season long. And it came out in a short series. Seven games, five games, three days, three games. I don't care. You're going to get exposed for who you are in the playoffs. A team of high potential with mental lapses. We can all see the obvious individual talent. But let's not avoid what the conversation was about the Blue Jays all season long. Don't forget, this is a season they were slow out of the gate and it cost the manager his gig. That's a mental lapse. Bo Bichette, arguably the best hitter in the back end of the season. What made it so astonishing was how he played in the first part of the season. Mental lapse. Running hard in the base paths. That was a regular conversation. Mental lapse. Concentration in the outfield. Mental lapse. And losing a seven-run lead... Is a mental lapse. Even if you want to say the Jays got unlucky with a few plays. Mental lapse. Going up 8-1. Do you think they kind of just coasted a little bit? They played for some highlights. And they thought, you know what? We're good. You know what you need in that moment? Mental sharpness. Mental sharpness saves you in that moment. They got up big. And it was all about the vibes. And they're feeling good again. Feeling loose. The jacket was on, the home run jacket. They were, they were vibing in the dugout. But you got to finish the job. That is a mental lapse. You have to stay locked in. And full credit to the Mariners. They stayed locked in, worked their way back into it. Santana, it's at home run. They get back into it. But over and over again, mental lapses. Whether it's by Schneider for pulling Gosman... Any number of things that game could have could have been ended much early with a certain level of mental sharpness and the Gosman pull was one thing, but to me and I thought they did it great on the post game on the broadcast. It's that was the first moment of turbulence. It's it's such an excellent point. We we always joke about the turbulent flight attendant that hey when you experience turbulence if you can look over and the flight attendant is cool you will be cool. The manager pulled the ace and suddenly everyone got a little bit tighter. And that crawford Bloop play, it shouldn't result in three runs. Let's be real. Bichette should be covering. Springer doesn't even, even really need to dive for it. But where do they go? They went for the highlight plays. They went for the vibes. And a certain level of mental sharpness was not there. And something we talked about seemingly all season long. Is this team going to grow up? to become ready for the big moments, and they weren't. And at some point, you can't keep learning lessons. At some point, you just start start making the other team learn some lessons and begin delivering lessons. The Jays got dealt a big one uh, over the weekend, losing to the Seattle Mariners. Uh, we'll do more Jays unpacking throughout the offseason. Their season's over. Now it's all about the vibes happening just south of us in Seattle. Let's go to Seattle uh, and talk to Curtis Rogers from Seven or uh, from Seattle Sports uh, on 710 AM. Does a pre- and post-game for the Mariners. Uh, Curtis, uh, how was post-game like on Saturday?
3: Big. It, w- it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I I would say it was a little less crazy uh, than when they clinched a playoff spot. Uh, but still, I mean, the absurdity of them pulling off the victory on Saturday uh, made it for one of the most memorable that I've ever been a part of
1: what is it about this team uh like last year we, it was it was chaos ball and, and fun differentials is what it was called and they just managed to exist in these tight situations and you think okay that stuff regresses We you look we know in football one score games and one run games in 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 major league baseball is supposed to regress as well but is it just one of those things that like when you live in this environment you're okay when it becomes that environment? I think so. We've talked to Scott Service a few times this season about that, and he kind
3: of has echoed that where it's just like, yeah, this is what we're built for. This is the kind of environment that we feel most comfortable in. And the Mariners this season led the league in one-run victories just as they did a year ago, and they were the first team to pull that off since the 1897-1898 Cincinnati Reds. I mean, this is not something we see day in and day out, year in and year out, but this Mariners team has been able to – kind of exist within this chaos and slow it down it's kind of like the matrix when all those bullets are are flying they're able to just kind of see it come at them so slowly and be able to just kind of step out of the way of it Uh, it really is a testament to the managerial uh, decisions that scott service makes and just the way he is able to kind of pull the strings in the right way in those moments and Testament too, to the players too to be able to have, uh, you know, that kind of mindset to pull them through uh, a situation as bleak as it was on Saturday down eight one, you should not be winning that game. Um, but they they pulled it off as as Jays fans can attest to and obviously as Mariners fans can attest to. It was just a, an incredible, incredible afternoon.
1: Is that something that's targeted by Jerry DePoto and Scott Surveys about that mental makeup for those players? Or is that something that's been groomed and instilled and developed through the levels? Like, well, is, is, is that just how this team is built?
0: It, it, I
3: would say that it has become something that they have looked for. I think early on in their tenure, they were not sort of, they didn't have really a big emphasis on finding those kinds of players. But right now, I mean, there is just every guy on this roster is playing for each other. Every guy on this team right now wants to win for the guys sitting next to them in the clubhouse. And I think there is a, a common thread throughout this organization where the messaging you're hearing at the top is also the messaging you're hearing at the bottom. And I think that is something that a lot of these guys who have come through the system and we're seeing more and more players uh, graduate from the minor leagues to get onto the major league roster. They have heard the same messaging since they were drafted or since they were signed as international free agents to what they're hearing now. And that is just kind of spread throughout the organization. They brought in great clubhouse guys like Eugenio Suarez, who uh, has been sort of the, the ringleader as it were uh, this season in terms of just getting everybody on the same page. I know Carlos Santana, the veteran who hit the big three run home run to draw the Mariners to within three on Saturday He's been instrumental in that clubhouse environment. He's played a ton of big games in his career. So they have been very, I think, specific about some guys being put on this roster, very intentional about some guys being put on this roster. Um, but it really kind of starts at the top and has trickled its way down.
1: Uh, last season, uh, again, they, they don't make it. And it, it, we talked about the the fun differential. There, there were so – so negative in, in, in the in uh, run differential. This year it flips. Not that it can get attributed to any one person, but you get a superstar like Julio Rodriguez, who took a lot of the headlines this year in Seattle. He gets his first foray into the playoffs. Uh, w- was it some nerves or just a, a guy getting used to playoffs uh, settings now? How do you think he fared in his first series?
3: I thought his game one, he was pretty impactful, even though he just had the one hit. based Uh, A couple of times off of hit by pitches, he scored twice in that first game. Uh, So obviously he made his presence known. I think the Jays made it a point to not let him beat them. They wanted to let the other eight guys in the lineup uh, have their, you know, see if they can have their way with the Jays pitching staff. Uh, I think Julio definitely it was good to see him get this uh, out of the way. I think in this Houston series coming up, he will probably have a little bit more of an impact. Uh, Because he's not somebody that usually has a couple games where, you know, he's not driving in runs, he's not getting extra base hits, but I think in game one, he definitely helped set the tone, and I mean, his presence out there in the first inning, out on the base paths, I mean, Alec Manoa really, you know, he he struggled in that inning, giving up the double to Suarez, which scored Rodriguez, and later on, uh, Cal Raleigh hitting the two-run home run. I think if Julio doesn't reach base right there, if it's a slower runner, let's say Ty Francis' the number two hitter in the lineup, if he's the one that reaches base, I don't know if things kinda of spiral the way they did on Manoa. So even in a, a even in a game where you couldn't really see it in terms of, you know, the ball jumping off the bat for Julio, he still managed to have a big impact in that first game.
1: Talking to Curtis Rogers from Seattle Sports. Uh, down south and also pre and post game host uh, for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, so we saw Castillo emerge in game one. Um, is, is that kind of the thing that's gotten a lot of Mariners fans charged up that hey, if we're in a short series now or just any series, uh, this guy on the mound, the way he pitched in game one was so sparkling. Uh, does it change the uh, the scope of what they can do versus Houston?
3: I think so. I think especially if Castillo goes in one of the first two games, it looks like Logan Gilbert's going to be the game one starter. But if they can come away from Houston stealing a game, that changes the whole dynamic of the series because then you've got games three and game four in Seattle, a fan base that is just so hungry for playoff baseball at T-Mobile Park uh, where there has not been a playoff game played in 21 years. Uh, if you've got Castillo going in game two against the Houston team that has not had to face him this season, uh, then we're looking at a, a potential series here. We're looking at something that could get really interesting. Uh, when that trade was made for Luis Castillo, it sent shockwaves throughout the Mariners organization, also throughout the fan base. We'd never really seen the Mariners make a move like that in season to acquire an ace level pitcher. And when they did it, it kind of signaled like, Hey, we're going for it here and no we're not just going for it now, but we're going for it in, in years down the road. They signed him to an extension mid season as well. Uh Castillo is just so, so dominant at times when, when he is on, and as we saw on Friday, he is one of the very best pitchers in baseball. Uh, I don't think he's he's as known as he should be across major league baseball because he was playing in a in a Reds market where, you know, they're just not they're just not registering across the country. Same with the Mariners, For to be quite honest. I mean, we've seen them, uh, you know, not make the playoffs for two decades. Castillo gets dealt to Seattle, and all of a sudden, now people are kind of starting to learn, like, oh, this guy might be for real. The way he shut down Toronto's bats, a, a very, very dangerous Blue Jays lineup, I, I might add, uh, that was one of the most impressive pitching performances I've ever seen. Uh, And people were comparing it to, you know, Randy Johnson back in the day for the Mariners, Mm -hmm. obviously one's right-handed, one's left-handed. But uh, just the way he was able to carve through Toronto's bats that game, uh, I would imagine Houston took a lot of notes that day.
1: Well, I think a lot of people probably also noticed because I – that game, obviously, he stands out. And if you haven't been watching, like his, his K-to-walk ratio has gone up since arriving in Seattle, and he's been very good since arriving there. And when, when you're a team that's kind of this likable underdog, teams are just going to adopt to your team. Um, I'm talking like non-baseball fans or, or, or teams that just don't have a, a dog in the fight right now. Who are some other players that fans are going to learn about and say, okay, like this is the reason why I really want to like this team here?
3: Well, One guy that comes to mind is Cal Raleigh, who hit a big home run in game one and uh, sent the Mariners to the playoffs. He's got a very aw shucks demeanor about himself. Uh, He has light tower power. He can hit the ball out of any ballpark and also comes with a great nickname, Big Dumper. I mean, who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love saying that? Uh, He's one of the the fan favorites out here in Seattle for sure, somebody that I think everybody can kind of get behind. Um, And then also, I mean, if you're looking for somebody with some wow stuff in the bullpen, Andres Munoz, he is a guy that has just absolutely nasty stuff, touching 103 miles per hour on his fastball, has one of the most unhittable sliders in baseball. I believe only Edwin Diaz of the New York Mets has a tougher slider to make contact with. Those are two guys that I look at on this Mariners roster that if you want to, if you want to familiarize yourself with, with some, some traits of players that, that really jump off the page, Cal Raleigh's power, uh, especially for a catcher, is one that it, it really does kind of blow you away. I and mean, then Andres Munoz just throwing absolute flames out of the bullpen. Those are two guys that I look at right now that if, if you want to familiarize yourself with a couple of guys who aren't exactly the, the front of the newspaper players, uh, those, are the, those are the two I would go with.
1: Uh, you mentioned getting ready for the series versus Houston. Uh, how do they match up versus Houston then?
3: Well, Houston has had their number in the second half of the season. The Astros have won six consecutive games against the Mariners, but uh, they haven't played each other since July. They haven't played each other since about, I think it was the week after the All-Star game. So it's been a while since these two teams have dueled against each other, and Justin Verlander gets the gets the mound for game one for Houston He has dominated Seattle pretty much the entire season. There was one start, though, earlier this year where the Mariners were able to get five runs off of him in the first inning, really ambushed him and threw him off his game. He was not able to have the kind of outing he had hoped for. So the Mariners are are probably going to try to employ that kind of strategy, jump on him early, just as they did against Alec Manoa, where if you can have your opponent playing from behind from the get-go, it doesn't allow them to settle into the game. It doesn't allow them to get a feel for what's going on. And so if the Mariners can jump out to an early lead on Justin Verlander, I think we could see a very similar start to this series as they had against Toronto. But uh, very interesting to note, Dusty Baker, Astros manager today, mentioned that there is a bit of a sickness going around the Astros clubhouse. He has not decided on a game two starting pitcher. Now he has until Thursday to come up with one. So we've still got a few days left to go before game two. But I thought that was pretty interesting. We'll have to see if anybody else on that roster is being impacted by that. Uh, there was no, no more information given other than there's a, a bug going around the Astros clubhouse, but it looks like Verlander is unaffected. He'll get game one, and uh, the Mariners will counter with Logan Gilbert. Game two, it's looking like Luis Castillo for the Mariners. He'll take on TBD for, for whoever's going for the Astros, but game one, it's all about jumping on Verlander early.
1: Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday or when the games are. Uh, you kind of referenced it. first home game in 21 years. Have you pictured it in your head, what that even looks like? I picture a sea of navy and teal and, and rally
3: towels going on. It's going to be uh, just a, a beautiful sight at T-Mobile Park for sure. Uh, I was 10 years old the last time the Mariners played a home playoff game here, and, and just being able to see this team and, and, and the run that they're on, it does kind of take you back to being a kid. Uh, I was talking about that with my wife the other day where it's just like, yeah, we've, we've got a kid of our own. And it's like, man, I, I remember being a, a kid and, and having to, you know, live through all this. And now it's like, I'm an adult. and It's such a weird uh, point of view to be doing it. It's interesting. Saturday is just going to be uh, sports Haven down here. We've got the Kraken home opener. Uh, Going on the same night, we've got a a college football game with the Huskies. They're taking on University of Arizona. So, I mean, there's just something for everybody that day. But I would imagine if you're at the Kraken game or if you're at the Husky game, you've probably got your eyes on your phone, which are going to be watching the Mariners uh, in their first home playoff game in 21 years.
1: For sure. It'll be a lot of fun to uh, see that spectacle. Curtis, I appreciate it. Uh, We'll uh, talk soon, and hopefully we can talk uh, heading to the ALCS as well.
3: Awesome, thank you, Big. Thanks for having me.
1: It's uh, Curtis Rogers, a kid from Kent on Twitter. Uh, you can follow him there. Uh, from Seattle Sports, pre and post game uh, for Seattle Sports at seven ten a.m. It is Monday. Uh, we got a Monday nighter to focus on. Uh, so let's get to the people's picks. Brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports. Brought to you by BCLC Seven Points is the line right now Chiefs hosting the Raiders kind of like that 7 I'm going to lay the 7 this evening with the Kansas City Chiefs Raiders getting ready to go into a bye coming off a win I know it's a divisional game you try to get up for these obviously on national TV as well Uh, the big spectacle on Monday Night Football but they get their win heading into bye do they kind of coast a little bit seeing a week off uh, on the horizon they've had their issues as well Uh, against bad teams, let alone a good team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs will you get a bit of a letdown spot. They're coming off that Super Bowl revenge, even though it's a couple of years removed, versus the Buccaneers, and they have the Buffalo Bills on deck. Is this a trap game for the Kansas City Chiefs? I'm still taking the seven points. Just think there's such a disparity between these two teams. I will lay the seven, and a prop I'm keeping an eye on as well. Devontae Adams over six and a half catches. Big spread, big points put up by Kansas City. Catch up game for Las Vegas, and do they just hit Devonte Adams pepper him throughout the course of the game, uh, and just even just get some cheap yards uh, for Devonte Adams and some easy receptions? It's paying at one point six eight, a little bit lower than I like to jump at, uh, but nevertheless, Devonte Adams at six and a half receptions, going with minus seven as well for the Chiefs. That is the people's picks. Brought to you by Play Now Sports where you choose, when you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com. You're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Rough week for uh, Big 6 as well, by the way. 2-4. and Kind of feel hard done by. No one's surprised. No, I'm very annoyed this week. Uh, I'll I'll own the L's, but Teddy B goes down early in Miami. Uh, Dom's Jets cruise the rest of the way.
0: We suck again!
1: Yeah, Seahawks had it in control the whole way.
0: Yeah, but the Seahawks
1: look good. We'll we'll get into Geno. I'm going to do my Geno victory lap tomorrow. Trust me, that's on the way. Uh, They should have covered that one. Philly should have closed that out. And Baltimore wins, but doesn't cover. It was uh, hard luck, Big Six. Uh, I feel confident where it's going, but we'll continue to trend into next week. They're playing me off! Pulling the hook. Uh, Canuck Central on the way Dan Riccio Satya here Sean. No official announcement About the roster just yet uh, Official announcement uh, Hopefully it comes down During their show They'll bring it to you Plus uh, with a bunch of other stuff Frank Saravelli will join on As he will every Monday On Canuck Central It's on the way You've been listening to The People Show